Welcome to the Rescue Church Podcast. This is Pastor Sarah Levecki, and this is the recording of our most recent Sunday sermon. We hope you enjoy. Moments. This is, this is what we're getting into. There are divine moments in your life that are very important, not only to God, but for you, not only for you, but for your family, there are moments. And so one of the things that I have encountered in my, my life is that when we do things that are from God, there is usually a witness from heaven on what we're doing in the midst of us doing what we're doing. I'll give you two examples that are, that are non-spiritual so you get that. I'm not just talking about church on Sunday. Sarah and I, for our 10th wedding anniversary, went, we went to Rome, Paris, and France. And we were, on, we were by the, the river. There's a river cruise that you take, which takes you around the city of France, which is really great. And so anyway, so I'm standing, and her and I are standing and getting ready to, you know, get on this, this boat and stuff. And a lady comes up to me, a total stranger. And she goes, I wanted to give you a free ticket. The Holy Spirit said, did you see that? So I said to Sarah, get used to that. See, because that is favor, but that is a witness from heaven saying, not only am I with you, but you are where you are supposed to be in this time, in this season. And there are God-ordained moments in this time. This is very important. The same thing happened. We were in Dubai, in, in a pool in Dubai when a white guy wants to tell me that he wants to jump off a cliff. I'm, I'm trying to like not talk to people. I'm in the pool. I'm not shouting Jesus from anything. I'm just literally in the pool relaxing. I'm trying not to engage with people, to be honest. I, I, I want to be like in a dark room in the pool. You know, like I'm air conditioning. Like I'm not looking for people or evangelism. And so this guy and, and this, this girl, I told this story before, they're like, so why aren't you drinking? Like, you don't want to ask me that question because if you ask me that question, we're going to get into it. And uh, so they wanted to ask me the question. And just a few minutes later, this guy's telling me I have everything. Uh, you know, his wife has a great job. They have a lot of money. But he, wants, he wanted to literally jump off a cliff. I mean, like literally. And I'm like, yeah, don't do that. You know, uh, and so, but I mean, like that was God saying that I'm with you. And I have God-appointed moments, even in all-inclusive, in Dubai. So when you're doing things that are spiritual, this happened to Brett and I. <clears throat> we were in Rwanda, and I said to Brett, I said, Brett, people are going to get saved by accident here. And he looked at me like, you know, all right, whatever. And a guy comes, knocks on our door, like not literally, but like knocks on my shoulder, and says, I want to get born again right now. <laughs> we didn't preach to him or nothing. We were just in, in the village. And, and so there are God-ordained moments for your life, whether you're doing something that you think is deeply spiritual, like passing out water filters to the poor or being in a refugee camp or literally going on a vacation with your family. There are God-appointed moments that God does not want you to miss. Okay. All right. Now, 
There are God-ordained moments for such a time as this moment in life that you are not supposed to miss. You must develop or lambano, lay hold of a pure heart, a clean conscience. Now, your conscience being sprinkled with the blood of Jesus is very, is very, very important because your conscience is like the drawing board. It's where God begins to paint. So if the, the drawing board is dirty, the picture does not come out as intended, but it's not the creator's fault. So the drawing board is my responsibility. So if I live with unconfessed sin, then what do I have? I have, a, I have an unclean conscience. See, so this is why the confession of faults is very critical for our relationships. But the confession of sins is very important for our relationship with God. But also, do you know, it's also very important for the relationship that you have with yourself. Because do you know that you cannot have a healthy, functional relationship with yourself outside of a relationship with God? God is the one that gives me the ability to relate to myself correctly. Without God, I will do self-destructive things to myself and the people that I love the most will pay the greatest. So, so this, is, this is very, very important. Now, here's the thing that I have learned. Now, I need to have a clean conscience and a renewed mind so that you can perceive the will of God and participate with it. So I want to see, okay, this is what God is doing. Okay, good. I want to get in on that. I want to serve that. I want to, I want to be a part of what God is doing. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of what God is doing. I mean, there's momentum, there's power, there's resources, there's joy in what God is doing. I want, I want to be a part of what God is doing. I mean, this is just me. I'm just speaking my, as a human to you. Okay? Now, when, if someone is double-minded, you see it, the scripture reference double-mindedness in James 1, 8 and James 4, 8. The Bible says that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. It says that he's not going to receive from God. And, and when you go into uh, James 4 and 8, it talks about cleansing your hands, purifying your hearts, and then it speaks about double-mindedness. What I have found is that when someone does not have a pure heart, they're double-minded. So people think that they have a head issue, but in reality, it's a heart issue. Almost all false doctrine boils down to a heart issue. When the heart is infected, the head gets corrupted. Okay. Now, when you have doubt, it's very difficult to receive from God. So there are things that, that God wants to do in your life, but it requires faith. Faith, one of, one of the primary purposes of faith is to come to God, to diligently seek God, not for what God can give me, but for God. But if I seek God for God, I naturally position myself for what he wants to give me. So if I'm preoccupied with what he wants to give me, I rob myself of him, which is greater than what he wants to give me. But what he wants to give me is an expression of him. When you give a gift to someone, it's not, it, doesn't, it doesn't say something about them. It says something about you. <laughs> All right. Let me give you an illustration of someone that was able to lay hold of a moment. And sometimes I want to say that there are moments. There's two, there's two things. 
There is a possibility of the redeeming of moments that we've missed, which is the mercy of God, and thank God. But I'm going to be honest with you, because on the same side of that beautiful coin, there's also moments that if you miss, they're not coming back. Okay? So, you have to be very sensitive to that. Now, if you have your Bibles, come with me to Mark 10. We're going to start in verse uh, 46. This is a story, a fascinating story. But in verse 46, it says this. Now, they came to Jericho as he went out to Jericho with his disciples, a great multitude. Uh, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when they heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. They warned him to be quiet. But he cried out more, son of David. Have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man saying, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. Verse 50, And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? This is a real, real, real important question. Imagine if Jesus came to you and said, what do you, what do you, what do you want me to do for you? You know, some people don't have a valid answer yet. It's okay. What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him on the road. Now, the very next passage in 11, you see that Jesus is, go, is going into the city of Jerusalem. It's, it's, the next scene is the Hosanna scene, where they say, Baruch Hashem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and they throw the palms down, and they declare that he's the Messiah, he's the son of David, he's the king, and then a week later they want to kill him, because the king doesn't do what they wanted him to do. So the song changes when we don't get what we want. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll leave that one alone. We're not going to trigger anyone on that one today. We'll just leave that alone. We'll just walk away from that. Okay, so the situation here is, is uh, clear. There's a blind guy, and he's begging. Now, the thing that's very tragic about this guy is that the blind guy is the son of Timaeus, which means that his daddy was somebody. The Bible many times, listen, the Bible many times does not give you the name of somebody and it's on purpose. Like, for example, the rich young ruler, although he was rich, he had no name. He was not relevant to God because he didn't say yes to God. Zacchaeus was very corrupt, more corrupt than the rich young ruler, but he had a name. Remember that? And if you, if you read in Mark, uh, in Matthew, you'll see that the next, actually in Luke, you'll see the next scene is actually him entering into Zacchaeus on the way to Jerusalem. He, he goes through Zacchaeus' house because he has to eat lunch. And Zacchaeus is a short little guy. He can't see Jesus. So he has to jump up in a tree and he comes in the line of sight because his problem is what got him in position for his breakthrough. Amen. God will use your problem to your advantage if you're hungry. But anyway, this is not about that. So this is, this is the scene before that, right? So what's happening here 
is that you have blind Bartimaeus. So now he's also blind and he's a beggar, but he has a name. He has a name. The rich young ruler is rich. He's a good boy too. No name. You don't know his name. But this guy, he's got a name, and his daddy's got a name, but he's got a problem. What's his problem? He can't see. So he has a garment on. Do you know what this garment is for? This garment gives him, is his EBT card. Uh-oh. This garment gives him legal right to beg. Yep. He has a legal right to beg. Now, there's shame attached to that because when your dad is somebody and you have to beg, that's a shame. That's a shame. That's not... Imagine if your dad is good. You know what I'm saying? The dad is living in Franklin Lakes with nice little S-class in the driveway, but his son is in Patterson, strung out. How do you think he feels? See? So now this is, a, this, is, this is a very painful situation. There's shame attached to this situation. There's poverty attached to this situation. There is sickness and, and limitation. And, and, and this, is a, this is an inhumane, dehumanizing situation. And so this guy, although he doesn't have eyes, he can see. Although he cannot see Jesus in the natural with his eyes spiritually, he's able to discern that he is the son of David, which is to say that he is the Messiah. So there's something happening inside of this man's spirit that does not have to do with his eyes. It's not the flesh, it's the spirit. So there's something that is happening. And so he, Jesus is walking by with his entourage of people, you know, he rolls deep. He has a lot of people with him. Jesus is walking by, and this guy begins to scream, Son of David, have mercy on me. And all the religious people are like, don't do that. Be quiet. Don't talk like that. We don't do that in church. Like, and he, and he cries out even more, Son of David. The, the people that are telling him to be quiet don't even know what he knows. When, listen to me, when you have a need in your life spiritually, a need, intuitively, you know who can help you if you really want help. Many times, help is right within reach. There's someone there in your present life and in your situation to help pull you out if you want to come out. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in some of your life. There is usually someone real close by that is real willing to throw the, 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 the what are the little buoy? The life raft, whatever it is. There's someone there that is willing to pull you out if you want out. So this guy is walking by. Uh, Jesus is walking by and this guy begins to cry out because he's desperate. You know, that's what sickness, shame, Poverty, it makes people desperate. It makes people like, 
Like, I, I got to get this thing resolved. Like, I can't continue to live like this, to live in this reality. I need, I need. So this guy has a cry within him that's not normal. Everyone else is like, calm down, brother. You know, because every, everyone else has eyes and they can see and they're not begging. But when you're desperate, you're desperate. So I don't know if you've ever been desperate, but I've been desperate. When I got saved, I was desperate. I would come home every day and throw myself on the floor for three hours a night, crying out to God, confessing my sin, saying, I do not want to go back because if I go back, I'll die. I don't want to go back. So you, you have to, I don't know what it is with us, but we, we get saved and we become, now all of a sudden we're tired. Now all of a sudden we don't got energy. Now all of a sudden, you know, we, we, but you used to be vibrant. And what happened? That, I can't understand that. But anyway, that's another thing. So he begins to cry out. Jesus stops. Now, imagine a cry so raw and so real and so deep that stops Jesus dead in his tracks. The creator of the universe, the sustainer of all things, the one that holds the world together by the word of his power, that Jesus stops dead in his tracks and says, bring him. That's the type of travail in the soul that pleases God. That radical, real cry of 100% commitment and desperation that lacks the fear of man and really wants God. That's the type of shout that the psalm is talking about, like a real shout, like, ah! <laughs> like, and and that, is, that stops Jesus. Jesus says, what can I do for you? And so the, the mercy of God looks like something. The mercy of God looks like blind eyes opening. The mercy of God looks like a person being restored to dignity. Do you know that before he could even come to Jesus, he had to throw that begging thing off? That whole victim mentality, you better throw that thing off you. That thing will keep you from Jesus, that victim mentality. Oh, poor me, self-pity. That will keep you from standing up and will keep you begging. That will keep you in a situation you don't have to live in. So the first thing he did before he even came to Jesus is he gave up the right to be a beggar and to be a victim. You have to cast that garment off if you're going to get a garment of praise. And you, you, have to, you have to take authority over that. That man knew, although he didn't have eyes physically to see yet, that man knew he was never going to be the same. And he acted in faith. He didn't throw the thing out after. See... That has how Jesus saw his faith. Remember it says your faith has made you well? Faith leads to wellness. Faith leads to wholeness. Faith leads to sozo, healing and deliverance. And where there is real faith, there is a corresponding action. He gave away his right. Now this is what I want to get at, because this is not even my message, just to let you know. This is not the message. The message is this. Jesus was going to Jericho and through Jericho into Jerusalem, never, ever ever to walk that road again. Never. This was his one and only shot to lay hold of Jesus. That's an 18-mile journey from Jericho to Jerusalem. Jesus is going into the city to be crucified. Jesus knows what Jesus is doing, and he knows why he's doing it, and he knows his hour, and he knows what he's supposed to be doing. So he's on a mission. Imagine your mission is to die for people that can't even see you. 
We're like, oh, you know, I'm feeling unseen. Cute. Jesus died for a whole people who couldn't see him. And the guy that could see him didn't even have eyes. He couldn't even see. <laughs> you know, but that guy, listen, when you have a real need in your life, there's something a real need is supposed to do. A real need is supposed to give you discernment and hunger. See? So anyway, this guy begins to cry out. Jesus heals him. Jesus has a little interaction with him. But it says this, that, and immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. So he received healing and he began to follow Jesus. He is now a part of something that is historic, epic, eternal, world-changing, and just a few moments before, he would not have been a part of that. So that became a moment where his life was reshaped forever. He was a part of the procession. He was a part of Zacchaeus's lunch outing. Because it says from that time he began to follow Jesus. So he went into this. He, so there's something that God was, God was calling people. And the call of God is not convenient. It's not like, oh, you know, when, when uh, I mean, Jesus is like, I'll die for your sins next week. I'm a little busy this week at work. I'm a little tied up. Like the call of God in your life is not, is not convenient. And I'm not saying don't go to work. Go to work. Kill it at work. Be excellent at work. Be so excellent at work that they want your opinion on non-work matters. Be that excellent. But don't put work before God. Put God before work. Because God will give you what you need for work. See, without, without you getting the supply of God in your life, you don't have what you need for work. Without the supply of God, you don't have you, you, what you need for your marriage. Without the supply of God, you don't have what you need for your children. You don't have what you need for the guy in the next office if you don't have what it is that you need. So if, if your soul is not satisfied in God, if you're not restored, if you're not healthy, you don't have what the world needs. And God wants you to have what the world needs. So my, my point is this, that Jesus was going somewhere and he was walking through a place that he would never walk again. And this man had to lambano, he had to lay hold of this moment. And to lay hold of that moment, he had to cast off the victim mentality. Amen. The right to beg. The identity of a beggar. We are not beggars. Amen. We are not beggars. We're not begging for money. We're not begging for you to like us. We are not beggars. If you don't be faithful, God will find someone else. If I'm not faithful, I'll get replaced. God will find, God doesn't, so God doesn't have a, a people issue. Sometimes we have a faithfulness issue, but not God. All right. So now, the gift of faith 1 Corinthians 12, can convert Kronos time into a Kairos moment. So what is Kronos time? Kronos is watch time. What do you know, you ever see the website Kronos 24? Where do you think they got that from? That's a Greek word. Many people don't know this, but Nike, that's a Greek word. The Greco-Roman world, whether you know it or not, has shaped the American reality. The whole other world. That's a whole other thing. I'll leave that alone. 
So faith believes God, takes God at his word. When you have that level of belief, there is a corresponding action which leads to miraculous breakthrough. God was waiting on Julius to be obedient. Her obedience is what unlocked the supply of God and the favor of God where she was chosen above someone simply because of the favor of God. Always know it's the favor of God. Never think it's you. You know what Christians do? Christians think that they do God's job and then they blame the devil for what they do. It's like you did God's job and, and uh, the devil did your job. <laughs> it's like, that's Christians, a lot of Christians. With an unrenewed mind, we blame the devil for stuff we did. The devil's like, I don't know or I, you know, I wasn't even involved with that. So anyway, uh, the gift of faith, again, can convert Kronos time into a Kairos moment. Smith Wigglesworth said, I don't know if you know who he is, but he was a, it was an old healing revivalist evangelist who said to God, he was a plumber from England, he said to God, I will serve you all the days of my life as long as I have new shoes. If I don't have new shoes, I'm out. I cannot have beat up shoes and look nasty as long as I, so I serve you. So this guy was a radical guy. So one of the things that he said is, if God does not move, I will make him move. Now that seems, people hear that and they go, oh, it sounds arrogant. But no, no, no. He said that I have obedient faith and I will get God on the move through my obedient faith. I will take God at his word and do what God said and God will move. So this is really interesting. Do you see the same situation with um, Mary? Remember in John, the second chapter? They, they come to Jesus. She, she comes to Jesus. You know someone is wise when their parents come to them with their problems. Listen, if your parents come to you with their problems, God is doing something in your life. Seriously. God is doing something in your life because they see it on you. And so his mother comes to him and goes, oh, you know, they ran out of uh, wine, which is an economic miracle. Why? Because rich people don't run out of wine. Rich people have a whole fridge of wine in their house. And if you're real rich, they have a whole room in their cellar for wine. So rich people don't run out. Poor, poor people run out. Rich people have abundance. So he's at a poor guy's wedding. This poor guy runs out of wine at his wedding. That's a shame. He feels shameful. And so Mary brings the situation to Jesus. And Jesus is like, what does that got to do with me, woman? That's not my thing. This is not my wedding. And then she says to the servers, whatever he tells you, do it. See, that is obedient faith. That is an example of Kronos time becoming a Kairos moment through obedient faith. So the principle is a life of faith unlocks the miraculous and brings the kingdom of God into the situation. And when you read that whole story, there's, that was a sign. That was the first of many signs. There's something profound to that. And I cannot give you the whole thing, but there were six water pots. And, and Jesus was saying, you cannot cleanse yourself with water. You need to be cleansed by blood. Six is the number of man. It was a sign. And the sign outlasts the miracle. See, because once they peed the wine out and sobered up, the sign still speaks. So the sign outlasts the miracle because the sign points to who the miracle came from. So that was signs. See, John wrote about signs. The Greek word is semi-eon, signs. That's a whole other thing. All right, let's get out of there. Now, the opportunity of a lifetime 
must be seized during the lifetime of that opportunity. So the example, this is Leonard Ravenhill. Do you know who that is? He wrote Why Revival Tarries. This is, you know, anyway, old school people know who this Anyway, so Jesus is walking. And as Jesus is walking, if Bartimaeus doesn't begin to cry out, and doesn't begin to respond to what is happening on the inside of his spirit. Not only does he not receive his sight, but he doesn't get the privilege of following Jesus into a situation that is going to be historic and eternal. A lot of people had, had eyesight, but couldn't see. Yet, God brings him into something profound because he was sensitive to lay hold and to seize the opportunity of a lifetime during the lifetime of that opportunity. What do I mean? Jesus is walking on a road that he is not going to walk again. So if he doesn't lay hold of this now, he will miss what God has. This is the concern that this is why the greatest battle in our life when you mature in Christ is not going to be pornography, drugs, sex, or rock and roll. The greatest, the greatest warfare that we will experience and you will experience as you mature in Christ is distraction. Distraction. That is the thing. That once you say, I'm not going to be sinning, I'm not going to be doing nothing crazy and stuff, no Jerry Springer lifestyle. Once you get out of that immaturity and you, you stop making a mess of your life, the great, great battle is for your, your, your distraction. Because, here's why, if the enemy distracts me, I will miss what God has for me, which is what he wants to steal. Why? Because he robbed himself of what God had for him through pride and self-exaltation. Pride will turn an angel into a demon. Pride. Obadiah 1.3 says that the pride of your own heart has deceived you. Pride leads to self-deception. Pride has people overestimating themselves. Overestimating themselves. So they think, oh, you know, I'm rich. Okay. So then they ask the rich guy about medicine or politics, and then he shows everyone he's dumb. Because he doesn't know about that. He knows about Excel spreadsheets, not vaccines. You see what I'm saying? But since he has money, they want his opinion. And that's the thing. The deceitfulness of riches lies to you. Pride lies to you. So now you have two things working. That thing took his marriage and cost billions of dollars. I'm talking about Bill Gates. Billions of dollars he lost. We say, oh, so he has billions of dollars. Yeah, but he lost billions of dollars because the pride of life, the deceitfulness of riches, and pride causes people to overestimate themselves. Not smart. One of the things of righteousness, when God makes a man righteous, because we don't make ourselves righteous, when God makes you righteous, that means that you are in right standing with God, you are in right standing with yourself, you are in right standing with others, but you know where you stand. Repent, Bill. <laughs> All right. 
We, we, can I tell you something? We have not even got started today. See, they're feeding this monkey here. This monkey is becoming a gorilla, you know. So anyway, that's what happens if you feed the monkey. Um, okay, we're going to talk to you. I want to give you some basic. We're going to speed this up a little bit. But, but when the fullness of time came, Kronos. Why would it use the word chronos? Because of the Daniel prophecy, Brett, I'm going I'm to text this to you because I do this for you and for me. No one else cares. <laughs> so th th this is God sent forth his son in the fullness of time. Now, what is the fullness of time? The fullness of time is according to the 70-week Daniel prophecy, which is the 490 years. Okay? Do you remember when Peter said, hey, how many times do I got to forgive my neighbor? Seven times seven. You know what that number is? I don't know, but I have a calculator. 490. Okay. Do you know what this is Jesus is talking about? The jubilee of jubilees has come. The forgiveness of sins and debts has come. And I'm going to destroy your debt in my body. And then I'm going to destroy your debt in real life because the temple is going to be destroyed. And the temple is where the debts of the people was held. The fall of Jerusalem was the destruction of the debts of the people. First he did it in his body. Then he did it in the building. So in the fullness is Paul. Paul is, I'm telling you, people are not ready for Paul. If Paul came here, we'll probably try to escort him right out of here. Maybe not this church, but most churches would throw Paul right out. He gets thrown out of the Messianic church. They throw him out in the first minute. Once he starts talking about the Judaizers, they throw him out. He gets thrown out of the prosperity church. He gets thrown out of the white church. He gets thrown out of the black church. You better be a supernatural church to embrace him because Paul will step on everyone's toes in the front row, middle row, and back row because the truth has no friends. The truth has no friends. When I start preaching, there's no allies, there's no enemies, but the truth has no friends. The truth is the truth, whether I like it or believe it, whether it makes me feel good or feel bad, the truth is the truth, and the truth is what leads to freedom. So if you want freedom in your life, you need to develop a relationship with the truth. Okay, now, but when the fullness of time, Kronos, had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law. So now Jesus was fully God, fully man, born, in the, uh, born of a virgin, manifested in the flesh. So the word manifested in the flesh, speaking of the divine becoming a man, but through the womb of a virgin, which dignifies women and brings them into the kingdom, restoring dominion to them when the king came through the womb of a virgin. The only thing God looked for is purity. All right, that was another story. All right. Uh, and saying the time, this is now when Jesus announces ministry, he says these words. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand, which means within reach. Repent. Metanoia. So you know where Meta? Facebook renamed itself Meta. Meta. You know where they get that from? That's the root word for metanoia. That is to change the way you think. You, you, you think they want you to put those goggles on? What do you think that's about? They want to control the inner workings of your mind. Yes, sir. Break down Christ and 
They want to shape and control and manipulate how you think, what you desire, and how you respond. Meta. Make no mistake about that. The most powerful companies in the world are all fighting for the same thing, your attention and my attention. Distraction is the greatest war this generation is facing. They do. The time or the kairos. Now, I'm going to show you the very many and different meanings of this word because, as you know, Greek is, is a language of uh, pictures. It's, 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 it, it, God is always a painter. He's trying to paint a picture, and one word or a bullet point is not, God is not American or British, so it doesn't work that way. Okay. The, the time, kairos is fulfilled. The kingdom of God, you know the word kingdom? Is, is basileia, is where we get the word basilica from. So that word has four meanings, rule, reign, realm, and royalty. Four meanings. Rule. The rule. So that is, who are you ruling over? Heaven, uh, all flesh. He's the God of all flesh. Reign. Reign speaks of the duration from everlasting to everlasting of his rule. Rule. Reign. Realm. Realm is heaven and earth. And royalty is all his citizens. The only kingdom where all of the citizens are royalty. Amen. There's not one royal family milking everyone. All of the citizens are royal citizens, which means how we treat each other, how we speak to each other, how we speak about each other, matters to God. You see this as, as a parent. If one of your children is abusing one of the other children, you will immediately step in. I, I'm going to tell you, the other day, Sarah knows what happened. Zoe starts screaming last night, crying or something about a teeth, screaming. Elijah walks upstairs like, what's going on? Is my sister okay? <laughs> see, but that's in him. That's in him to be a defender and a protector. He walked up with his chest out like, is my sister with no shirt on too? He sleeps with no shirt in the winter. He's like, is my, like he's, he's, he walks up like he's six foot seven, 300 pounds. He's like, is my sister okay? Because that's in him to care about her, to make sure she's okay. Beautiful. The kingdom of God is at hand, which means it's within reach, but you got to reach for it. Now, repent, it means to think differently, reconsider, change one's mind. So when we think of what Jesus is saying in the beginning of his ministry, many times we're like, okay, I looked at a nasty picture. Okay, I, I drank too much last weekend. Okay, I... And so this is not the repenting that he's talking about, although that's good. <laughs> it's like, don't do that. That's good. And if you didn't, get up and dust yourself off and try it again, but don't try it again, but keep trying. But that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is to understand the time and season that the God is becoming king, that the kingdom of God is coming. But here's the thing. The reason that you need to repent is because God is going to be working in a way that you didn't anticipate. You thought that we were coming in on a white horse, but I'm coming in on a donkey. You thought that I'm coming to, un to topple Rome, but I'm coming to deal with the reason you're under occupation, which is your sins. 
So we have this idea that God is coming to fix my mess in my situation, and he is, but the mess in the situation is here, not here. So the mess out here is a result of the mess in here. So the priority of God is I'm going to work it out from the inside. The priority of religion and, and saving face is, oh, we'll just wash the outside of the cup while the inside of the cup is full of poison. And so we're drinking from a cup that's poison. And God is saying, no, I want to address the inside. Anyone who washes dishes in the house, you know, if you really get the inside good and you got that hot water going, the little stuff that you got on the outside of that cup is going to come off. See, so this is so he, he's wanting them to sink and understand that the kingdom of God is here and it's coming, but it is coming in a way in which you do not expect. And if you don't reconsider and you don't change the way you think, then you will not be able to lay hold of the kingdom, to receive the kingdom, to understand the kingdom, to participate with the kingdom because you have an old wineskin in your mind and it's robbing you of new wine. You, and and you, know, you know, they had the greatest problem. The greatest problem, I'm going to talk to you about the dark trinity. You want to know the dark trinity? The dark trinity is when religious, ethnic, and political bondage come together on a generation or a people. That's what they had. We still have it today. The conservatives want to make America great and they think that they have a savior coming from Washington. The liberals think that they, they have... The, the, the left in America has a love affair with ultra-right, fascist, hardline Islamists who will kill them. They have a lot. So when you think that you're going to fix a spiritual problem, naturally, you are sadly mistaken. Now, I'd rather have Trump than the other guy, but that, that would not fix it because the same issues we were having, we're having because those issues are spiritual and they're generational. Amen. A good president will only put a Band-Aid what needs to be amputated. I'm just talking to you historically. There is a way, there is a way back. But it's not, it's not easy and it's not pretty. And, and the way of return for a nation to return is usually barbaric. And I don't necessarily mean always violent, but sometimes it is violent and that's not, I'm not saying do that. I'm against that. Um, but what I'm saying is that we're headed for tumultuous times because there are, there are people who are profiting from our divide. So if I can make Carlos and Juliet hate each other and they both are buying guns from me to kill each other, then I win and they lose. And then after they've shot each other, I've got to find new people to sell guns to. And I've got to stir another controversy so I can profit off of that. So it's all money, power, politics. So you have to get your head out of that. And there's no solution there. You have to understand that. They need the word of the Lord. Like they need a Daniel, they need a Joseph, they need a Jesus, they need a Paul. There's no solution in their system. Think of it. In, in, in Paul's day, the most powerful guy, Nero, he, he killed himself. 
The most powerful man in the world, in the known world at the time, killed himself because the world has no solutions. All right. Now, for this is good news. I got good news. <laughs> for while we were still without strength, weak and sick, in due time, Kairos, Christ died for sinners. So his birth is the fulfillment of time, Kronos. And his ministry is Kairos, and his death is Kairos, which is what we'll get into. Uh, a, I'm going to go forward to go back. Is a time, a season, a due season, an opportunity, a present time, an opportune time. In Hebrew, it speaks of an appointed time. Think of the feasts. God works through appointed times. We see that in Pentecost, which I'm going to get into that, but not today. <laughs> I get into that, it would be really situation. But God works through appointed times. So that means that there are, why do you think there's such a war for a Sunday morning? What? Because Sunday morning is a time where we say to our culture and to our king that Jesus matters. It shouldn't be the only time, but it's a corporate time. It's not just, oh, this is just me and Jesus. Cute. No, no, no. We're a people. And together we're saying, no, 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 this belongs to the Lord. This belongs to the Lord. So we're saying that with our money. This belongs to the Lord first. Our children, they belong to the Lord, which means Babylon cannot have them. So we're saying that this belongs to the Lord because we belong to the Lord. So this is an open statement of us saying we are not negotiating. Don't you know, you go to, go to B&H. People from all over the world come to B&H in New York City. It is the best camera store, in my opinion, in the whole world. Right on 34th. When Sabbath comes, they shut down. They even shut down their website. They don't even want your money. They're like, leave us alone, come back tomorrow. Muslims, they get on the, on the, on, in the plane, they get the little thing out, bow down to Mecca, and they go in. And they don't care what you think or what you feel. And we're like, well, you know, boss, it would be nice if I could go for two days on a mission trip. <laughs> right. Please? Please? Well, they're like, we want to have a transvestite read to your kid. Right. And we're like, well, you know, maybe um, if HR can kind of swallow it. You know, I'd like to go away for three days. Like, and they're bold as a lion. Right. And we're like Bambi. Mm -hmm. No, no, we, we got we to wake up. Amen. We got to wake up. The church is in a fog. That's what came over the church in Germany. And then the Holocaust happened. Because the prophetic voice was lost. They didn't, where was the voice? How can that happen in a Christian nation? Germany was a, was a nation that experienced revival and reformation. And they went from that to silent in the face of human atrocity. That's what happens when the church loses its voice. There was one guy that stood up to them, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And history remembers his name. The bunch of those other pastors, nobody even knows who they are. Nobody cares because they didn't say anything. They didn't do anything. All right. 
There's no way I can get, there's no way. There's no way I can, this, I give up. <laughs> Start crying. I'm trying, we're not even, this is like, this is like a 400 part series. It's like, I'm never finished preaching. You know, like I just need to take a break for eating. So, uh, Acts 12, now about that time. I'm just going to go through these quick. Now about that time, Herod stretched out his hand to harass some of the church. So when the church corporately comes under persecution, that is a kairos moment. That is a moment for God to show his strong arm through weak people who have surrendered and given him a yes. Now, for Paul, for I consider the suffering of this present time Kairos are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So when you are going through suffering because you have chose to do what is right, when you have got, when you're going through a suffering because you are holding fast to the Lord, you are standing on the word of God, you are trying in your own weakness to obey God, when you go through that present suffering, Number one, that is a kairos moment. That is a divine opportunity. That is a moment where God visits time. You know what we experience in these sufferings? The nearness of the Lord, which trumps anything. It trumps anything. There's nothing that can be compared to the nearness of the Lord. Nothing. Not things, not stuff, nothing. David said that my, that my heart rejoiced more then when, when, when we receive the harvest, the joy of the Lord, there's nothing that can compare to that. Nothing. All of the other things come, but nothing compares to that. Okay. And let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season, kairos, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So you get weary, the enemy tries to wear, wear you down and make you weary so that you don't reap a harvest because with a harvest, you're dangerous. With a harvest, there's a testimony. With a harvest, we reflect the kingdom of God. You don't reflect the kingdom of God busted and disgusted. People see, you know what the world understands? A new car. A new house, a new watch, nice pictures. They see the favor of God and go, they see that. They don't get your religious prophetic painting or your journaling. They don't, they don't care about that. They see, man, this guy was sick and really a messed up and God did something in his life. Look at him. That's what they see. Let us not grow weary in well-doing. See, the nature of doing well is that it wears you down. The nature of doing the right thing is that the enemy tries to wear you down. Let me tell you something. Some of you experience a lot of physical fatigue. Do you know some of the physical fatigue that you are experiencing is strictly spiritual? Why? Because spiritually you are trying to resist the enemy. You're trying to resist the enemy. You're trying to resist the enemy that physically wears you out, that physically tires you. Imagine if you stand in a flexed position and, you're, and, you, and you stand there tight like someone's going to hit you and you stand there tight all day long. Three hours later, you're going to be like, you're going to be worn out. Spiritually, that is what many people uh, experience when they are literally trying to submit to God, resist the enemy, walk 
in favor, walk in obedience, walk in blessing. They feel the physical wear and tear on their physical body. Some people don't even know. They're like, I'm so tired. Because you are trying in your heart to resist the enemy. So there's a, there's a war going on. You do not expend the same energy on a vacation that you do in a war. But you are not on a vacation, you're in a war. And even when you're on vacation, you're in a war. So you have to get ready and understand that this is the reality that we're living in. Okay. This is another one. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. So that means that God wants to lift you up. Because that's a testimony. It's not a testimony when you're on the bottom. Do you know why? Because the loser doesn't get the microphone. Guess who gets the microphone? The winner. The guy who wins the championship. That's who they give the microphone to. We don't want to hear from the loser. He lost. So, therefore, humble yourself. So you can either humble yourself or you can be humiliated. Can I be honest with you? None of us like to be humiliated. You see that, you know what humiliation triggers? Anger. Violence. An irreasonable response that is not to the same degree of, of what, what, what was, so someone can be messing around and someone can take it really seriously because it touches a pain and a nerve. So no, we don't like humiliation. It's the opposite of honor. You're a human. You were created for honor, not humiliation. God didn't create you to, hump, to, to make fun of you, to, to, to make a show of you. I didn't have kids to bully them and to, make, to beat them down. I have children to, to build them up so that, my, my, so that my ceiling is their floor. So, so this, is, this is now, I'm going to get another one. Do not, this is about sex. And I got to tell you this, we don't talk about this enough. This is a problem. We're going to address it. We have someone coming in. I have a pastor friend. I'm not going to tell you the name of the people. He paid, this is, this is dead truth. He paid for his pastors and his associate pastors on his staff to have and to go to sex therapy with their wives so that they can have better sex. Amen. Amen. Church money. He paid so that these people can fix this thing. Now, listen to this. Do not deprive, defraud, or steal one another except with consent for a time, kairos. So that means that if you are not fasting and praying, specifically believing God together, then you should be pursuing each other actively. Preach. I'm telling you, I'm speaking to married people. You're, you, this should be something because this affects your psychological, your well-being in every single way. And it's, it's legit. It's dignified and legit, and it's sex, it should be getting better. If it's not getting better, you have a problem. If you, if you don't address the problem, the problem will address you. Now watch this. Do not deprive, defraud, or steal one another except with consent. So that means that we agree. Okay, Sarah, we're not going to be having sex this week. We're fasting and praying. But we're fasting and praying together for a breakthrough together. So we're saying no to the flesh but only because we've consented for a divine kairos moment. One of the things that triggers and activates a kairos moment is self-control. So now, stick with me for a few minutes. Do not deprive, defraud, or steal one another except with a consent for a time. 
that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of a lack of self-control. So if I withhold sex from my wife, I am tempting her. I am part of the reason that she wants to visit the mailman. This is important. This is very important. This is something, so you, you have to understand that, why did I say your moments? Because we're all like, well, what's in it for us? Well, there is something in it for you. That's why I'm here for you. I'm your advocate. The Lord, I'm like, Jesus is mini advocate. Like, I'm not mini, but I'm, I am with Jesus. I am a man's rights. I'm a men's rights uh, activist. Amen. Amen. There's all women's rights activists. They're like, you know, Chop your breasts off, you know, kill your baby. I'm a man, I'm like a man's rights. I'm like men need food and men need sex. Amen. I'm like a man's rights active. I'm big, I'm big on that. Because they'll tell you, happy wife, happy life. But that's not true. What's really true is strong, happy man, strong, solid family. That's the real truth. And our culture will twist it because. If, if she's happy and you're weak, she's going to be unhappy soon. If she's happy and you're not solid, that happiness is going to go away real quick. So if, if, the, if the man is not solid, it rains on the house. So now, so, so all of these things, persecution, corporate, personal tribulation. I'm going through a personal thing, but I'm not talking because you're crazy. I'm talking about because you did the right thing. When you're, when, you're, when you're working for God and you're tired and you feel like, man, this is, this is not working out. When you choose to humble yourself instead of lash out. When you choose to, to do the right thing, whether you get the right results. When you choose humility. And when you take a break from sex for the purpose of pursuing God together. These are all moments in your life that trigger breakthrough. So let's say you have, you're having some trouble in your marriage sexually. So let's take a day or two days to fast and to pray about this issue because I'm not satisfied with the relationship. Listen to me. I'm talking to you as, as, a, as real as it gets. I'm not, I'm not poking at anyone, I'm, but I'm saying I'm talking to us in general. If you think that you can continue to not address a problem, the problem is going to address you. And it will cause you more pain than getting healing. Because it will separate you. It will split you up. It will destroy your marriage. If there's kids involved, it will destroy your kids. So that means that married people need to be pursuing God, but need to be pursuing one another. This is important. And I'm not just saying sexually. That's a big part of it, but it's not just that. When, when you have a desire to make the other person's life better... They have a desire to make your life better and everyone's life is better. And then the kids see that. If parents don't have a good sex life, children will say things like this, I never want to get married when I get older. People will, I don't want to, people will say this, I don't want to have kids. Because they see that with their parents. So this is something that God wants to put his finger on and address it to heal it, humble ourselves. This is our choice. These are our choices. These choices, can I say it this way? These choices bring divine God moments. 
So we don't earn them, we don't deserve them, but by faith, we activate them. Okay? Now, I cannot get into this all, but repentance means you will not miss the Kairos moments that God has ordained for you. So repentance is not like, oh, God, I'm sorry that I was a sinner. I'm crazy. I'm, forgive me for this or that. That's good. Confession is important. I don't want to minimize that because sin will destroy you, will separate you from God, and will separate you from everything you love if you let it because sin has a desire for you. Okay? So I don't want to minimize sin, but the type of repentance I'm talking about is reframing how you think about a situation so that you don't miss the occasion. For example, let's just say Sarah's giving me the time thing. This is a play-by-play -play here. <laughs> so let's just say someone invites you somewhere, really, you know, but you don't really discern the invitation. Right? You rob yourself of something that God has for you. I'll give you an example. Years ago, <clears throat> when we started the church, years ago, in the beginning, there was a guy, a homeless guy, a homeless kid, that we were loving on and trying to be a blessing to, the kid was staying in a boiler room in West New York. Kid. 18, 19. Kid. And me and Will, we felt compassion for this kid. He needed a jacket. So we went and we bought a jacket for the kid. Uh, snorkel, not a real great one, but a Tommy Hilfiger, like, you know, starter. Starter snorkel, not a North Face. You know what I'm saying? But it's a starter. It's going to get in the game a little. And, uh, and we had the snorkel, man. We waited for him to come. We had, a, we had a bag. We were waiting. We were anticipating. He never came. Guess who got the jacket? My dad. <laughs> he showed up. He got the jacket. We had, a, we had the jacket for the guy. The guy never came. That's what happens if we don't discern the invitation. So if you don't discern the invitation, you miss the occasion. See, God may have something for you, but if you don't see it, you can't seize it. All right. I'm done. Now, now you're happy. Don't miss divine opportunities. These, these are practicals how not to, guarding your heart. Guarding your heart is watch what you allow in and watch what you allow out. That's a two-way street there. Mary kept all these things that God said in her heart. So it's not just what you don't let in, it's also what you marinate on. Renewing your mind. Do you know because of the neuroplasticity of the human brain, when Paul said renewing your mind, you can? That's good news. Here's another one. Cultivating a prayer life. You know what keeps us from prayer? Pride. Pride is the thing that says, I don't need God. I will not seek God. I can do it my way. I've got a plan. I've got an alternate plan, and I've got a third plan. I'm not smart enough for a third plan. I need God. I had a, I had a pastor friend tell me, a wealthy, very wealthy, successful man. He goes, Adam, my friends are smart. Me, I need God. <laughs> and if God doesn't show him, it's not going to work. That's how I am. I need God. I'm not that smart. Being in Scripture. you got to cultivate a relationship with the Scripture. The Scripture will deal with the issues of your heart. Being in community, being in a family, a Christian family. We call it a church family, but that's important. You know why many people avoid community? 
Because real community will rub you the wrong way and will have to cause you to iron out issues in your life that you didn't think were there. Because people will rub you the wrong way because we're people. We rub ourselves the wrong way, so we definitely rub others the wrong way. Being committed to confession and repentance. Acknowledging what you did wrong, being willing to think rightly about what you did wrongly. Similar to casting off the victim thing of blind Bartimaeus, who then became seeing Bartimaeus. <laughs> uh, being committed to biblical standards. This is very important. In the world, they have no standards. Well, if you remove the standards, you, it leads to mental illness because the soul needs moral absolutes to function correctly. The Bible says that the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. So if the soul doesn't know where it stands, it'll be back and forth and it'll be into feelings and it'll do whatever it feels like and that's how you get an STD. Okay, that's free, free information. You know one in four people in our generation have an STD? Don't be looking around like, you got one? You, you, you got the burn, burn? Listen, being committed to biblical standards, sorry, Lord, forgive me. Being committed to serving in the gospel. Do you know that there's something happens when we serve? Whether it's, a, whether it's across the street or across the world, when I intentionally go out of my way for someone else, do you know that that's something beautiful for me? It makes me less focused on me, which helps everyone around me enjoy me better. <laughs> People who are only focused on themselves have a miserable time. It's really misery. Your eyes are not spun in the back of your head so you look at the back of your brain. That's not how you, you, were, you were designed to look and to see and connect with other people. All right? We're almost done. Don't worry. You, you, you've really been with me here. These are all practical ways to help you not miss. Look at this, man. I got typos, man. This is diving opportunities. Diving opportunities. <laughs> Seems that I need a new diving watch. <laughs> These are all practical ways to help not miss divine opportunities. I should have looked at this. Forgive me. Last verse. I got one last verse. This is the last verse because I'm going to tell you, you know something? We have missed divine opportunities. But there is something. I've got some good news. I'm going to end you with the good news here. Just trying to find where is the good news. Ah. The Bible talks about walking in wisdom. I have it on my phone. I'm going to look, I'm going to reference my phone because now I'm having a brain fart. Ephesians 5.16. This is verse 15. We'll start there. Seeing that you walk circumspectly, but not as, uh, not as fools, but wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So that's one, redemption of time. Colossians 4.5. Again, we got one more. And this is, this is for those who feel like, hey, you know what? I have legitimately missed some things. Well, welcome to the club. It's not too late. This is 4-5. This is walk in wisdom to those who are outside redeeming the time. 
Okay, so the word redeeming is to buy back, like Jesus bought us back from the slave market of sin. Right? He bought us back. Redemption is when you buy something back. Let's say you go to the pawn shop and then you buy it back, you know. Right? Redemption, so you're buying it back. You're bringing it back. Wisdom allows us to buy back divine opportunities and occasions that we may have missed. Okay? So maybe you feel, hey, I missed, or maybe I wasted some time, or I missed. It's okay. God will give you wisdom if you ask, and God will give you the ability to redeem time. Maybe you need to redeem time in your marriage. Maybe you need to redeem time in your finances. Maybe you need to redeem time in your family. It's okay. God will give you the wisdom to bring back divine opportunities that were missed. All right? Which means that you don't have to live with anxiety. You don't have to live with shame. You can receive the forgiveness of God and you can let God take you from here with wisdom. All right, let's pray. Lord, we ask you for divine wisdom that we would be able to redeem the time and walk in wisdom. And I pray that opportunities that we may have missed, Lord, that you would bring them back around for your honor, for your glory, and for your testimony that we would lay hold of the divine moments that you have, that you would bring healing in families and in individuals and in marriages, uh, that we would really honor you by seizing the moments and the opportunities that you've given us in this life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Rescue Church podcast. For more information, visit rescuechurch.tv invite.